Friends, let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable at your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our first reading today comes from the book of Exodus. Song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my might, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he cast into the sea. His picked officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrew your adversaries. You sent out your fury. It consumed them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The flood stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. Our second reading today comes from the gospel according to... No, that's not right. Hey, friends. The actual gospel reading today... I mean, this is a great passage. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> one, one that I would strongly encourage you read at your leisure. Uh, I am grateful, by the way, that Alex Mickles finally, uh, after a very long time, got a vacation this week. And so, I mean, it's not her fault, but she's not here, so we can. Anyway, the, the, the real gospel reading today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 15 through 14. So close your eyes and listen to what God has us to hear today. Whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. So, again, we're in week three. For those of you who haven't had a chance to sort of follow us in August, um, a couple months ago, remember we did that whole bracket I asked, and this is another tradition I hope to continue, is that we will have, just tell me what sermon you'd like to hear. And then we did a sort of March Madness bracket, we matched them up, and we got down to these final four. And so for the month of August, uh, we're, we're examining the four topics that seem to come to the top for the congregation. And this is the third out of the four. This week we're going to tackle the need for stated prayers, 
And then lastly, the final week, and save the best for last, is the responsibilities of Christians within government. Uh, you know, like somebody said, there were no softballs this year. So, um, but the need for stated prayers. Uh, now, we're actually right on time here. Usually when I start preaching, it's about a quarter till. So one thing I just want to say off the cuff is the need for stated prayers does not change the amount of time that you sit in church. So I was curious about that. I was like, oh, if we were five minutes before the sermon started, I'm going to have a tough time working through this because I'm going to advocate for them. And y'all are like, well, listen, if I can get out before the Jags game uh, and I can get a good lunch, why not? But it's interesting that this came up for me. And of course, these were all anonymous. So I don't know what was the actual intent of what was said underneath it. And, and I don't know what everybody's thinking about, but, but what I was struck by and what spoke to me as I thought about how do we talk about the need for stated prayers is I think it speaks to one of the biggest issues that's facing the church throughout all of this country and one that we don't talk a whole lot about because it is something that, that most of us as Americans hold very close to us. And it's this idea about the role of individualism in our lives. And we, we like being individuals. Our whole ethos is built around this idea that we pick ourselves up from our bootstraps. And certainly a lot of the back and forth arguments that we've had over the last 18 months, when we peel back all of the, the rhetoric that goes on around us, I often think one of the reasons why we've struggled to come up with a clear direction as a society about what we should do with COVID is we have different opinions about our, the role of individualism versus the role of being a community. And neither one's necessarily wrong, but depending on where our levers pull between individualism and collectivism, I won't say communism because then that people will start, that pastor there is a communist, no. So we'll say, you know, being in community. Where we pull those levers will cause us to respond differently about a lot of different topics, right? But I also think it, it does deal with this issue. Why do we need stated prayers? Why do we spend this time in church repeating prayers with each other? I mean, doesn't Jesus tell us otherwise? What about individual piety? What about my individual prayer life? Doesn't that matter? Why do we spend all this time here? So I want to tackle this. And I don't think I'm the only one who has sort of scratched their head about how sort of individualism is an impact, impacts us in culture. Robert Putnam, who's one of my favorite authors, he wrote a book about 20 years ago called Bowling Alone. I don't know if any of you read it. It came out in the early 2000s. The idea being that the institutions that bound us together, like bowling nights and Kiwanis and church were slowly drifting away, that we were changing. And that, I think, was such a prescient book 20 years ago. He recently wrote a book about five years ago talking about the growing disparity between different children and how the long-term impacts of that may be. And recently, in October of last year, he came out with a new book um, that deals with this primary issue. It's about that perhaps we spend a lot of time right now talking about the I, talking about me. And Putnam argued, now in fairness, I haven't read the whole book yet. I think this would be a great, I know we've talked about going back and doing book clubs. I actually think this would be a great book for a book club to tackle. 
But our individualism is matched by only one other time in our society, and that was during the Gilded Age a little over 100 years ago, 1870s to the 1890s. That, Putnam argues, is, is the equivalent time for us today. What he argues is that we are just as unequal, we are just as polarized, and we are just as fragmented. Now, his cure is that we do some more we thinking. And I think this permeates everywhere, including the church, and including, a, in part, a question like this. I can't tell you how many times when, when the pandemic started and we had to make these regrettable decisions to shut down our worship services, how quickly the idea came, well, we need to take care of each other to I need this for my own worship life. I mean, it was six weeks, maybe. It was like, well, I need this. I need this. And so for a lot of us that are in this position, what we had to fight was this difference between how do we deal with a we that we're taking care of and people now concerned about the I. So let's dig into this a little bit. In Matthew 6, which, you know, again, a little, being a little shifty, Matthew 6 is oftentimes a passage reference about how we should pray privately. Right? This is what you've heard before, right? Don't, don't be like the hypocrites out on the street that pray really loudly and do all this kind of stuff. Don't be like that. Instead, go into your private prayer closet and pray there. And if we read it alone, just like that, it is really easy to read it that way. But really what matters, according to Jesus, here in this passage in Matthew, is our own personal piety. We shouldn't pray out in public, but instead, the, the prayer closet, if you imagine what it is, it would be an internal room to our house that isn't, doesn't have a window that's facing out into the street. It would be that private, sealed-off space, an internal space. And that's where one should go to pray. But if we read it that way, we ultimately take it out of the context of the larger part of Matthew 6. Now, Matthew 6 is, is a passage that comes up, you should think about it, it comes up right around Ash Wednesday often, because right? it deals with three main issues. The first one it talks about in Matthew 6 is almsgiving, right? Giving to others. Then it talks about prayer, and then it talks about fasting. And in each case, it says, don't be like person X who does this thing. Instead, do something else. When you give, don't give publicly to show off, but instead give privately, remember, so that the right hand doesn't know what the left is doing. When you're fasting, don't, you know, get yourself all up in a mess like this, right? Now I'm going to be like this the whole time. <laughs> but instead, grease your hair, oil yourself up, don't make it look too obvious that you're fasting. So really, this whole idea about prayer and prayer closets is not really about leaning towards individualism, the need for individual prayers, but instead it's about a posture that we carry when we think about these important aspects of Christian living. Yeah, it's about personal piety. Yeah, you should be praying. But one of my favorite words that, that is an Ohio-founded word is the word bloviate. I've said this word a couple times. Um, 
It was a word that was coined in the, in the early, late 1800s, early 1900s, during the Warren G. Harding presidential campaign. Um, because Warren G. Harding had a tendency to talk a lot. And one of his opponents said of him that he bloviates the impression of an army of pompous phrases moving over the landscape in search of an idea. I love that phrase. I'm going to say it again. Bloviation is the impression of an army of pompous phrases moving over the landscape in search of an idea. That's what Jesus is inviting us to avoid, is prayer bloviation. Sometimes I, I joke that it's the, it's the Father Weegis prayers. Father Weegis, thank you for today. And Father Weegis, we, we want to give you praise. And Father Weegis, we want to give you all the honor. I've never met Father Weegis, but he gets a lot of prayers on Sunday mornings. <laughs> so yeah, personal piety is important, but that's not the ultimate end. The, the idea that we don't do Father Weegis prayers, the, the fact that we don't bloviate, it's more about not living a life that is meant to market us and to show that we are the most righteous and most spiritual people. All that that prayer closet is meant to do is to stave off the temptation to look like the most holiest person in our neighborhood. That you all give 2%, but I give 7%. And let me just lay down that check. Oh, you know, you really know when it's Lent for me. Because I just, I can't make it through the day without my chocolate. <laughs> what, what did you give up? I've heard it a million times now, right? That's what we're trying to avoid, the, the, the bloviation spirituality. But that doesn't mean it's meant to be only individualized prayers. So it's less, again, about individualism. Like, why do we need stated prayers? Well, Jesus talks about this individualism prayer. Well, it's less about that, and it's more about a stature that we carry as we think about this life of faith. And even more noticeable, you should have heard a familiar prayer, the Lord's Prayer, one that we recite every single Sunday here. And if you notice, there's a lot of talk about God, and there's a lot of talk about we. And in the Greek itself, it's always the first person plural. It's never I, give me these things, but give us our daily bread. We and us. So the idea of the individual here in the text doesn't even exist when we're talking about this prayer that is often so near and dear to us. There's hardly anybody in this country that doesn't know how to recite the Lord's Prayer. Forgive me my debts as I forgive those who trespass against me. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So if we look at, okay, it's not really all about the individual. Let's look at what happens when we have a corporate instance. And listen, they're all across scripture, but this one in Exodus was, is one of my favorites. If you imagine the people of Israel have been fighting through all of these plagues, they're trying to get free, 
Passover happens. Things are crazy in Egypt, and the people finally get up and go. They cross the Red Sea, and according to the writers, God, in God's, in, in God's infinite compassion for God's people, parts the Red Sea, and all of the people chasing, all of the enemies are washed away under the sea. And what happens in that moment, they're they're excited. They're, they're no longer being chased by their oppressors. They are free. They're off to go do what they're supposed to do, what they have been called to do to be liberated. And so they get together, Moses and all the people, and they get together and they sing this song. They pray a prayer together. People share their lives together. In a moment of triumph that was for everybody, the people were together in celebration and in one refrain. It's important to share our lives together as people of faith. And when there are times that Jesus and Moses and others go alone, it's really only for a couple reasons. One is for retreat. You know, we're going through Mark right now, and you know, Jesus often is like, he goes, does something miraculous, and then he heads off to a retreat for a nap. But then he comes right back again. Moses sometimes has to go up and talk to God about what the Israelites are and aren't doing to intercede on their behalf. But Moses always comes back. There's never a time the people of God aren't somehow connected with one another and when we do have to walk away to be alone, to be an individual, we always come back home. And the tools that we have in order to read together, study together, all those psalms that we have, they've always been meant to be read together in community. These weren't necessarily meant to be things that we went alone on. Even the reading of all the scripture wasn't necessarily meant to be an individualized activity. It was meant to be something that we did in community, that we explored together in community. And so if you want to know why do we need these stated prayers, why do we do call to worships together, why do we do confessions together, why do we pray these prayers together, friends, it's because we're not meant to do this stuff alone. We are not meant to be so rugged individuals, such rugged individuals, that we can't find a place to come home and to share life together. When we say these prayers together, when we recite these calls to worship, when we talk about these confessions, we have a moment of vulnerability that isn't common in our society today. You are speaking out loud your brokenness, your failings. We all are doing that. Have you ever seen anybody on television in the last uh, ever openly go up on television and say, you know what, I am a broken imperfect person in need of grace in community. 
I'll tell you when it does happen, it's usually because somebody's in trouble. Not because it's just the right thing to do all the time in community. In fact, it seems so often when people have to do that when they're in trouble, it's because they didn't do it before they were in trouble. People tried to go alone. But here in this space on a Sunday, we have a reminder that we come back together and we say these things matter because these experiences matter together in community. Do you know there is nothing more beautiful to my ears than to hear a congregation praise God first thing in the morning? There are moments that I just can't speak the words, but I hear them from you. What a fuel that is for me to help you all continue in your journey. And I think that willingness to praise God out loud together as one voice, I think that willingness to confess our brokenness together, fully aware that God forgives us, is a statement that this culture desperately needs. That it's okay to be imperfect. It's okay to not have done the things you were supposed to do. Because like I say every week, no matter where you've been, where you are, or where you're going, you are loved and you are forgiven. Isn't that a word that we need to hear more often? That there is a brilliant God who could take care of thousands of people in their moment of distress, and they celebrate it together in song. Who's to say we don't have a God that does the same thing? And who's to say that we can't be a people that can explore that meaning together? So we don't have to figure it out on our own. And when we do wander into bloviation, which some of us may have a tendency to do more often than others, we'd be wise to find our way back, to remind ourselves of God who's in heaven, worthy of praise. We actually pray every time we can together that God's kingdom, God's holy commonwealth, will come. That this world might look a little closer to heaven. That we're given all that we need. And when we have failed somebody, that we forgive them. And that folks who have failed us, we forgive them too. And that we pray together as often as we can that the road that we're on does not lead us to places we should not go. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours, Almighty Father, forever and ever. Amen.